Hello, beloved. Uh, it is a wonderful privilege to go to Scripture. And um, with the sermon a few weeks ago, or two weeks, last week, um, or the week before, I can't remember exactly, but uh, we were talking about unity in the church, and I wanted to touch on the one world religion, the fact that there is this movement in the in the world towards a one world religion where all the churches uh, and all the mosques and all the synagogues and all the hindu temples you know every religion on the earth how they unite into this one world religion obviously uh, believers will not be part of it but what we are seeing in the day and age that we are living in is the development of this one world religion like we've never seen it before. And it will be on the earth during the last part of earth's history. Now this one world religion will, I believe, include everyone. Okay? Except, of course, the, the truly born again believers. They, they will not be part of it. In the Christian church, we are seeing more and more what they call an ecumenical church unity. An ecumenical church unity. And I mean, this is where the church is kind of going across borders, even if there's disagreement on doctrinal issues. There is this move towards a visible unity because they want it at all cost. But beloved, this is a the counterfeit of what the Bible talks about when the Bible talks about unity. The Bible, when it talks about unity, it's a unity that that Jesus Christ um, made possible. He accomplished it. And it's the Holy Spirit that dwells within every single believer that basically brings us into unity. And it's interesting. You can go to a place, let's say a country you've never been to, into an area you've never been to, and then you meet a Christian, a true born-again believer. You meet that person. And as you meet that person, it is as if there's something that connects. And you just know, uh, this this is a fellow believer. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. I've experienced it so many times. Uh, when we had campaigns, I would go into an area or move into an area. We would do a campaign and I would meet different people. And those who were truly born again and had a love for Christ and had love for evangelism and missions, it's as if you click immediately. It's just absolutely amazing. But it's not on a vis- visible level. You know, it's not as if we... Uh, click so well that we move in together, you know, into a, a massive place where we all stay in unity um, visibly. That's not what it's all about. The, the visible unity, uh, obviously in a local church you will see visible unity because members will be united. But it's based on a spiritual unity through the Holy Spirit. Now when it comes to this one world religion that they are busy setting up in the world, This one world religion is definitely not uh, spiritual unity. It is visible unity, but I believe there is the spiritual aspect of it. And that is not the unity part, but the fact that it is, let's say, orchestrated, that it is pushed forward by um, demonic beings. It's not of God. You see, this one world religion has been prophesied in the Bible. And God will allow the devil to develop it. Okay? 
And I believe we are live, living during a time uh, that we can actually call ecumenical propaganda, where we are bombarded with this idea of we need to be united, we need to be united, we need to be united. But it's not talking about a biblical unity. It's talking about this one world religious unity. All right. Before we continue, though, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can look at this aspect of, um, let's call it this one world religion from a biblical perspective. That we can look at unity from a biblical perspective. And I pray, Father, that you will please enable us to understand as we study this topic and that we will be able to take it to heart. And at the end of the day, Father, that we will be able to glorify you as we continue to walk and live in true biblical unity through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us because we are born again. And thank you so much, Father. I pray that you will please open up our hearts, our minds, and enable me to teach your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, ecumenical propaganda, just to, to quickly say something about it. It's, propaganda is when you are bombarded from every area, from different areas, on different perspectives or different um, locations. It's just a bombardment of one thing. It's like having a... Uh, one kind of ideology, and it's it's just thrown on people from different angles, from different places. But it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's like German Germany, ne? Uh, Nazi Germany, when the when Hitler uh, he, he started pushing this this propaganda, uh, and the, and he just continued and he did it and he, and he continued and at the end of the day he got the German people to basically stand up or rise up against the the Jews and they didn't want the Jews in uh in Germany and many of those people professed to be Christians but it was because of propaganda that they were willing to embrace uh, what Hitler was dishing up and they just ate it you know now today or let's say the time that we're living in there is a strong call on churches to come together in, let's call it visible man-made unity. Or we can call it visible, demonically driven unity. You see, visible church unity is, is just moving at a breathtaking pace. It is, it's, it's moving, it's moving fast. And the thing is that this modern day unity can only take place if churches... And believers ignore biblical doctrine. If they ignore biblical truth. Because people are coming into unity or churches are coming into unity. I, I call them churches even though we know that it's only if you are a biblical church that you're truly a church. But let's call them churches. These these, these groups or gatherings of people that, that get together. Many of these, these churches... These groups, they do not agree on biblical doctrine. They do not agree on biblical truth. In fact, sometimes they are so far apart, yet they still move towards a visible unity. It kind of, actually when you look at it, you look at what's happening, and, and you look at the different groups that are actually coming together in this, this new um, unity this one world religious unity that they are pushing 
and the propaganda that's going out towards that. It looks more like the apostasy that we read about in Second Thessalonians. It, it looks more than that, like that than a, a unity that is uh, in the Holy Spirit because of what Christ Jesus did on our behalf. I mean, we read in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you, verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, and then he says, unless the falling away comes first. That means that people depart from the faith. And obviously you will have to depart from the Christian faith to embrace this one world religion. What they're going to try to do at first, obviously, is Christians can be Christians and Muslims can be Muslims and Buddhists can be Buddhists and uh, Hindus can be Hindus and uh, Jews can be Jews. But later on, there's going to definitely be pressure that everybody needs to unite themselves and obviously unite themselves under the Antichrist because they are going to worship the Antichrist because that's going to be the religion of the day. So verse 3 says to us, uh, do not be, um, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Which means the Antichrist is going to come, and he is going to force people to worship him as God. So he's going to take the place of God. He's going to act as if he himself is God. Yo. Beloved, the Bible teaches us that this that the false prophet, when he comes onto you know onto the scene, he will ensure that a one world religion will come into being. And how is it gonna be possible? Because you're gonna have this massive falling away of the faith. You're going to have this massive apostasy that's going to take place. So when the false prophet comes onto the scene, obviously he's going to help with that as well. But if he comes onto the scene, this this figure, then what is going to happen is he is going to make sure that people worship the Antichrist. Listen to Revelation chapter 13, verse uh, 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This is a vision eh, of, of John, um, what he saw, and he wrote it down. And verse 12 says, And he exercises the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So this false prophet is going to basically um, cause the, the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the Antichrist. Okay. Now, verse 13 says that this false prophet performs uh, great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And verse 14 says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So this false prophet is basically going to 
be the cause, obviously through what he says, through what he does, um, he's going to be the cause that people will worship the Antichrist. Uh, Not worship God, not worship Jesus Christ, but worship the Antichrist. Okay? Because that's what's going to happen, because that is going to be this one world religion or this new religion that will be on this earth. It will be Antichrist worship. Beloved, we're already seeing the development of this, let's call it this one world religion. We can see it happen. I mean, some years ago, Tim LaHaye, I don't necessarily um, agree with his theology, but Tim LaHaye is a writer about eschatology. He writes about things in the end times and so on. And he basically said that he preached a sermon in his church and he entitled this sermon, The Ecumenical Church, A Sign of Our Lord's Return. Now, what happened was during the message, he said that the day would come when Roman Catholicism and liberal Protestant, uh, Protestantism would begin moving together and give um, indication that they are actually looking at uniting. Now, what happened, Tim LaHaye says, is that this statement that he made in, his, in that sermon uh, actually struck a few people in the church, or quite many in the church, you know, like being hit by a baseball bat. And what happened then was he was accused of being radical and being extreme. Now, it's interesting if you would take that same statement that Tim LaHaye made then, and let's say he makes the same statement in his church now, today, I believe he will find many that would actually agree with him. And why? Because it's happening. As I'm speaking to you, it's happening worldwide. We are seeing more and more accounts of Catholics and Jews and Protestants working together. I mean, they even work together on a common translation of the Bible. It, it was reported in the USA, for example, that a Baptist minister participated in a Catholic, uh, with a Catholic priest in a marriage cer- ceremony. It was also reported in the United States that a, a Catholic priest participated in the ordination of a Baptist minister. And after the ordination, the priest actually said, well, it was a rich and meaningful experience. Beloved, someone in the United States said, as we approach the end of the church age, we can expect to see liberal Protestantism in the form of the National Council of Churches and the World Council of Churches that they are going to be swallowed up by the Church of Rome. And let me tell you, I agree. You see, it's important to note that the worldwide, let's call it this unity movement, it's not limited to um, apostate Christians, apostate Christianity, even though that's where it's going to take its its biggest root. Ne? It's going to be the strongest among apostate Christianity. But we see an organized move towards a unity with the Catholic Church, even among churches where, that professes um to know Christ, that professes that they are born again. You see, there's in fact a move towards uniting all religions of the world under Rome's headship. Even though it seems as if the Catholic Church is not getting stronger, it's actually losing some of its power, its authority, it's getting a little bit weaker, but still, it seems as if 
everything is going to be united and Rome is going to play a, a role in this whole thing. So I believe that this one world religion is just a matter of time. And only God, but only God knows when exactly it's going to happen and, and when it will be fully realized. I mean, if you ever spend a moment to think why God's judgment will be so devastating during the tribulation period, why um, will God judge this world so severely? You know, as in the time of, of Noah when he, he, he destroyed uh, the whole world and, and only kept eight people. Why do you think, in, in, have you ever thought about it? Why the tribulation period is going to be a time such as the Bible describes it, this heavy judgment of God, wiping out so many people and destroying so many things. I believe, beloved, one of the reasons why God's divine wrath is going to come down on this corrupt one world, this corrupt world is because of a one world religion where different religions, different beliefs are going to be united into this one world religion and it's an abomination in the sight of God. Now when we go to Revelation chapter 17, if we read verses 4 to 6, we read the following. It says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the, filthy, of, yeah, the filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5 says, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Beloved, listen, remember this word, this name that she has. Her name is Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, which means the mother of all harlots. What a name to get. But anyway, and of the abominations of the earth. So verse 6 of Revelation chapter 17, John writes and he says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Ah, So we have this mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And, and if the passage says that she's drunk with the blood of the saints, it means that she is persecuting the saints and she's killing saints. All right? And, and she's also drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. Obviously in the tribulation period. You see, when we look at verse 5, it gives us a picture of this one world system. Okay? She's the mother of harlot, of... of, of um, yeah, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Just absolutely amazing. I mean, John calls her Mystery Babylon the Great. <laughs> wow. Mystery Babylon the Great. And John tells us that she committed fornication with the kings of the earth. She's clothed in purple and scarlet. And this way, many people kind of think that Mystery Babylon the Great refers to to Rome. Because remember, the the bishops, not the bishops, the uh, cardinals, they are dressed in purple and scarlet. And then, Mystery Babylon the Great, if it is the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church is extremely rich. 
In fact, that little piece of land they're on in Rome, I think it's one mile by one mile or something like that, or, well, it's a piece of land anyway, um, it belongs to the Catholic Church, and there's a few people that actually, they are citizens of, that, of the Vatican. So she's very, very rich. And that's why John sees her and he says that she's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And she holds a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of a fornication. And that the clothes that she wears and the gold and the precious stones and the, the golden cup are all symbols of her great wealth and her corrupt influence. And, and then John tells us that she sits on a scarlet beast. We read in Revelation 17 verse 3, it says, So he carries me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this is, I believe, the same beast that we read about in Revelation chapter 13. And the beast is the Antichrist, uh, especially according to the vision of John, uh, that this vision that John saw. And, and we read about it in, in um, Revelation 13, verse 15, where it says, He that is the false prophet um, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is serious stuff. You see, those who refuse to worship the beast will be killed. And isn't worship a form of religion? Isn't that what you get in religion? And here you have the, the beast, the Antichrist, and this false prophet that forces people basically to worship the Antichrist. Our passage tells us that the religious system in the last days will actually be wicked. Much like the Roman Catholic Church uh, during the Dark Ages. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting that the word harlot is used eh, for this mystery Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots. So this word harlot is basically connected to Babylon the Great, but it's also connected to the practice of witchcraft. For example, when the prophet Nahum when he pronounced judgment upon the, the great city, you know, the ancient city of Nineveh, uh, we read in, in Nahum chapter 3, uh, verse 4, we read the following, it says, Because of the multitude of the harlotries of the charming harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that sells nations through her harlotries and families through her witchcrafts. Interesting how this harlot in Nahum is basically connected to witchcraft, isn't it? So it's no wonder that Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, will be destroyed by God. Because not only does she fornicate with the nations, I mean, she's also involved in witchcraft. She's connected to witchcraft. And that's an abomination in God's sight. And no wonder God will destroy Mystery Babylon the Great. Now, the prophet Isaiah uh, called the city of Tyre, he called that city a harlot. Very interesting. 
Now, in the tribulation period, Mr. Babin the Great, I mean, won't be a certain city or a specific nation of people, you know, that kind of practices uh, spiritual adultery. No, no, no. I believe it will be the entire world system. It, it, it's as if God is taking things global, no? in the sense of it happens everywhere. It's a world system that is, how can I say, it's a religious system and everything just slots into this religious system. People will still have their own religions, but it's all going to fit into this this system. It's like wokeness. I mean, you can belong to different organizations, different families, you can be in different nations and whatever, but as long as you accept this this ideology of wokeness, uh, it can be a worldwide um, organization or a worldwide, sorry, worldwide system that looks a little bit different in every country, but it is still the same system, exactly the same. This one world religion will be everywhere, but it will be part of a world system. It will be a, a world thing, a worldwide thing. Now, and I believe that the world system basically is in any way an organized system of world attitudes and institutions. Né? But what is what do they all have in common? What does this world system have in common? They threw God out. And the God of this world is basically in control. He's in charge. And he is leading people into creating this one world religious system that everybody eventually will be forced to be part of. And if you don't want to be part of it, you can't just say, ah, I'm not interested. What's going to happen is you're going to be persecuted and your head, head will be chopped off. So that's the reality. And beloved, what we are seeing is we are seeing this system in the world today. It's there. Now, during Israel's history, um, she was drawn away from God many times. You remember, I mean, over and over and over again, God had to go and fetch Israel, bring them back to the land. Um, and after they repent, then God become, uh, says he will be their God and he will look after them and, and so on. And then they will once again be drawn away from God by other nations or other religions or whatever. Uh, and then God will send them in, into exile. Later on, he will bring them back again. It's the history of Israel. Now, the, the thing is, each time that she was lured away from God, it was through religion, some other religious thing. And so, I believe it is with this great harlot that uh, John saw. This great harlot actually symbolizes an enormous false religious system. I mean, she is so appealing to the world. I mean, that she is able to seduce all the kings of the earth with her deceptions. Beloved, that takes doing. That takes a lot of doing. For this one world religious system to basically seduce all the kings of the earth um, and deceive everyone, so that everybody, except those who are saved, obviously, they will embrace this world system, this, this religious world system. Now, not only will this seductive, let's call it religious prostitute, take control over the leaders of the nations, I mean, she will also take control of normal people. Yeah? She will intoxicate them. 
It will be as if they are drunk because of her. So what kind of religious system can we expect under this harlot? What do you think? What kind of system? What kind of powers will she have that will allow her to to bring together the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, and atheists and Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and nominal Christians? This, This harlot is going to have enormous persuading power. Now, when commentators, when they interpret, for example, when they interpret Revelation chapter 17, that speaks about Mystery Babylon the Great, what they do, they simply do is they interpret it in light of what the Protestant reformers interpreted uh, Revelation 17 before. And the reformers believe that the Pope is the Antichrist and the Catholic Church uh, is the War of Babylon. Now, with the Pope as its head. Now, I believe that even though there are things in the text that I mean that could interpret or could be interpreted that it resembles the Catholic Church, you know, like the the the, the clothes, now, the the scarlet, the red, that kind of thing. I mean, even though we can we can say that, yeah, there are similarities in the text. I don't believe that. The, the reformers, that they were accurate in their understanding. I understand why they would say it. Remember, they were in a massive battle against the Catholic Church. And it, the, during the Reformation, I mean, many people lost their lives. The Catholic Church were very aggressive. Okay, so, and for the Protestants, for the protesters, those who, uh, who broke away from the Catholic Church, for them to look at the Catholic Church and say, yeah, the Pope is... Um, he's an antichrist I can understand why they would have said it but today with the information that we have now it doesn't mean that we reinterpret scripture and we come up with a completely different solution no the identity of the antichrist I believe is just much clearer today as it was during the reformation I mean it's difficult to imagine that any specific pope can be the Antichrist. I mean, all the popes of the Catholic Church basically qualifies, I believe, as Antichrists. Now, because of their resemblance to the description that we find in First John chapter 2. But I don't believe any one of the popes is the Antichrist or Antichrist. You know, that, that the one that will rise up in the last day and take control of the world. I don't believe that one of the popes qualify for that. I mean, John MacArthur in his commentary says that the first characteristic that is mentioned of antichrists in the, that's in 1 John uh, is that they depart from the faithful. So the antichrists depart from believers. They don't stay in what is, let's call it, orthodox biblical Christianity. They do their own thing. Obviously, the, 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 the Catholics have done that long time ago, 4th century when they would have, when they started, you could see how the Catholic Church just moved further and further away from Scripture as they embraced tradition and as the popes um, led them uh, in the wrong direction through speaking as if he is Christ, you know those kind of things. So that's the first characteristic, and that is that they depart from the faithful. They depart from the that which is truly a biblical Church, and the Catholic Church did it, and they embraced all their the man-made traditions and things. 
Okay, the, the popes have also done that. Then the second characteristic John MacArthur says of antichrists is that they deny the faith. They deny sound doctrine, and we know this. Take, for example, uh, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The Catholic Church said in so many words that those who believe in justification by faith alone, anathema to them. Be, they must be accursed. Okay? So, clearly, um, the second characteristic of antichrists is, is clear within the confounds of the Catholic Church and the popes. You see, if anyone denying the true nature of Christ as presented in the scripture, is an antichrist. We read about it in First John chapter 2.22. And then the third characteristic that John MacArthur gives us, you know, of antichrists, is that they try to deceive the faithful. They try to deceive those who are born again. And that's First John 2 verse 26. They, they are deceivers. And we know I mean, just listen to, to this new Pope. Oh, no, no, he's not new anymore, but listen to uh, Pope Francis and you will hear that what he is saying, he's deceiving people. And now when he speaks, for example, when they spoke to the evangelical movement, uh, when Kenneth Copeland invited uh, that priest to come and talk to them, and when they spoke to the Pope, and the Pope, or the Pope basically spoke to them, uh, the things that the Pope said were all deceitful things. Now, the popes of the Catholic Church, I believe, qualifies to be antichrists, but not the antichrist. Now, I believe that there's an important question that we should ask ourselves, and I believe that question is this. How can any false brand of Christianity alone get all the other religions to join it? Will it be possible that Christianity, that it will be the, the, the vehicle for this huge um, one-world religion. Uh, someone said that the religious system of the tribulation period will have to offer more than some watered-down brand of false Christianity. Because remember, this one-world religion under the Antichrist, which will all obviously at the end of the day be the thing that actually worships the Antichrist, um, we, we can know that that system cannot just be a false Christianity. I believe that the religious system you know, of the tribulation will be a one-world religion consisting of people and leaders who stand for nothing and fall for everything. It will be a one-world religion where everyone is welcome, as long as you go along with the ideology of this religious system. Beloved, we already see a, a one-world religion develop where everyone is included, obviously except the true believers. There is this place that is built in Abu Dhabi. It's an interfaith complex, and it's called, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's called the Abrahamic Family House. And it consists of a synagogue and a church and a mosque. And it's in Abu Dhabi. It's there already. It's been built. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they said it's the first time that a synagogue has ever been built in, um, in Abu Dhabi. Well, in the United Arab Emirates. Absolutely amazing. But there's a synagogue and a church and a mosque. 
And you can go there and you can pray in any one of them. And that, I believe, is things that is foundational to this one world religion that's coming. Uh, just come along. Just get along. Just show your unity and build churches and synagogues and mosques together and uh, worship because we're worshiping the same God. Love it, and that's not true. I believe that we need to be aware of the development of this one world religious system. I believe so that we can get, actually we won't get caught up in it. Okay. Um, for at the end of the day, God is going to destroy it. Mystery Babylon the Great will fall. And we read about it in, in Revelation chapter 18 verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. This is beautiful. When you think of how this this mystery Babylon, this, this harlot, how she um, intoxicates the world, how she in, brings all leaders into her abominations and how she fornicates with all the leaders of the world. It says in, in Revelation 18 verse 1, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with her uh, with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Wow! Mystery Babylon the Great, the harlot or the mother of all harlots, will be destroyed, will, be, will fall. Obviously the world will mourn because she has fallen. But beloved in heaven... And I believe among believers, we will rejoice. Because the system that killed God's people, that beheaded us, that cut us out of everything, that persecuted us, Mystery Babylon the Great, the harlot or the mother of harlots, will fall. This one world religious system that is being built in the world will fall. And when it falls... We will be free because we will be with the Lord forever and ever. Oh, beloved, isn't that amazing? So I just want to say thank you very much for listening. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you and may he give you his peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have your word that teaches us, that guides us, that directs us, that reveals to us about this one world religious system. Uh, that speaks to us about Mystery Babylon the Great, that speaks to us about Antichrists and the Antichrist that is going to come and how we will be forced to worship him, even though we as true believers will not do that because we already have one that we worship. And we just want to worship the living Almighty God through Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you will protect us. Please help us to open up our eyes to see what is really happening. So that at the end of the day, we will be able to withstand this one world religion, um, expose it and warn our fellow brothers and sisters so that we will not be caught up in it. And Father, please, I pray that in the process that you will protect us and give us the ability and enable us to share the gospel, the good news, to those who are perishing. And pray that you will still draw people to yourself, even though there is such a thing as a one world religion that hates you and um, are enemies of you. 
that you will still save those who are lost. Please, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, thank you very much for listening. And um, until next time, God bless. Bye-bye.